0: Welcome to Mirror Minutes. I'm your host, James Holland, partner at Millennium Investment and Retirement Advisors, an independent registered investment advisory firm, where we specialize in assisting employers design and run the retirement plans they offer their employees and helping financial advisors build successful practices. Our method is proven to reduce the labor, cost, and liability of plan offerings, ensuring that participants have the best path to reach their retirement goals while at the same time teaching advisors to enhance their relationships with plan participants. Stick with us to make the complex simple. Welcome back to Mirror Minutes. Again, thank you for spending a little time with us. Uh, We're going to continue the conversation with Rob Renz. Uh, It's going to go a little off the uh, marketing aspect. While the businesses are different, um, the approaches aren't necessarily um, as different. So one of the things... uh, one of the biggest questions we get from advisors all the time, especially those who are new to the space, is, you know, where do I go? How do I start? What, what, what is my target market? Do I uh, just, you know, pull off the water wings and jump into the deep end of the pool and chase after the, the larger plans? Um, or should I, you know, dip my toe in the water and, and, and focus on the smaller market? Uh, so should, should I dip my toe in the in the in the water and start with the smaller market? Uh, you know I'm not very familiar, so I don't want to. They don't want to stumble. They want to have their their best opportunity. Uh, so one one of the things Rob and I were talking about earlier was a recent article. Um, Chris, excuse me, Chris Carosa put it together. It uh, was in Forbes uh, called the Small Company 401k Plans: A Big Opportunity for You. Uh, anyone who does not uh, follow Chris if you're an advisor in this space. He's an absolute must. Decades worth of experience, um, does a great job simplifying again a very complex uh, so, uh, excuse me a very complex business which 401ks are. So as far as you know, the advice I give, uh, while elephant hunting is great and can reap big rewards. It's also more time consuming. There are more people involved. Again, there's usually committees or other folks you have to go through. While the smaller plan space, again, there's probably a business owner who would rather spend their time running their business than running their 401k plan. So while, again, uh, this is not a philanthropic endeavor, while we are trying to make a difference and give people the best opportunity to reach their retirement goals, it is also a revenue generating business, as it should be. There's nothing wrong. Again, one of the one of the biggest uh, bones I have to pick with people in the space is uh, people rail against selling, and and it drives me crazy because I don't, you know, people say, oh, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather have the person buy it than be sold. Well, guess what? You can't buy something unless it was sold to you. I don't care if it's uh, insurance, fiduciary services, what, whatever it is you're talking about. So there's nothing wrong with selling as long as it's done with obviously with the the integrity and making sure that the, it is a win-win for both folks. So when they're looking at the opportunity, uh, people talk about how you know there's no money in it. A lot of uh, a lot of compensation in this space is asset-based. Okay, and I don't want to get too granular, but basically advisors are paid a percentage of the plan assets for the services that they're providing. Um, doesn't take a math major to figure out that half a percent of a small amount of money, you know, $10,000, $100,000 is not a whole lot of money. So um, advisors shy away because they think, wait a second, why am I going to invest the time? I want them to look at it completely differently because one of the biggest objections you see, or one of the biggest hurdles, excuse me, one of the biggest hurdles that I, I hear from advisors is when they reach out to plan sponsors, well, you know it's the owner's best friend it's the owner's nephew it's the owner's college roommate and and loyalty is a very big hurdle to get over in this space because people want to do business with who people that they like and they have a relationship with okay but so in the smaller space when you have that opportunity i think it's a bit disingenuous to walk around and 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 have someone say great you know your plan has 5 million dollars your plan has $10 million. Now I'll talk to you. Okay. Well, why not get in on the ground floor? Okay. When the plan has no money. Okay. And they need your attention. One of the things Rob is not doing, which he promised to do is when I say the word, okay, for the third time during it. So there's one of Matt's bloopers that I'm sure we're going to add to the end.
1: Uh, we're keeping it in. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you're on the ticker now.
0: <laughs> exactly. All right. And uh, my wife who will hopefully be listening at some point is certainly going to bring it up. Uh, but uh, again, sorry for the digression there. I'm trying to keep things light, but again, getting started and helping build that, that foundation right from the get-go from two by four. One is what's going to ingratiate yourself with that business owner. Okay. So when they have the money later on, so the hundred million, excuse me, the hundred thousand dollar plan, if given the proper attention will become the $10 million plan. And guess what? When it's the $10 million plan, you don't have to ask for it because you already have it. So Rob, I know, uh, it probably correlates some way to the insurance side. I'm sure we'd all like to insure the, the $20 million beach house, but you know, those are few and far between.
1: They are in the <clears throat> episode that you had me on previously, James, we, we talked about, um, I talked about the two books that really changed it for me. It was blue ocean strategy and story brand. We didn't really talk much about blue ocean strategy in that episode, um, but it relates to this conversation because when, when I opened my agency in January of 2020, I took a look at the marketplace and how every other insurance agent, whether they were a captive or they were a broker, didn't matter, how are they marketing? And all of them are really doing the exact same thing. Um, they, were, they were going after, they were sending mail or buying internet leads, just the same tired stuff. And I felt like there was a whole group of people who were being very underserved. And what I wanted to do, my blue ocean strategy, because I feel like I'm, I'm very good. I'm a very good B2B salesperson because I'm a business owner and I've, I've you know been a corporate executive. And so I know how to do that a little bit better. Like I can look at you eyeball to eyeball and say, hey, man, I know what it takes to get to where you are. And there's just that credibility between the two of us. So I wanted to be my goal was to be uh, one of the top producing commercial insurance agents here in the area. Now, the company that I write for doesn't take a lot of those big risks, Uh, you know, those ones that would be $10, $15 million in premium. It it doesn't happen. Um, And so to expand upon like that Blue Ocean strategy, I wanted to build it around singles and doubles. Now, kind of plug in that I'm also... A veteran and an entrepreneur. And I'm a little bit concerned with the divide for post 9 11 veterans that choose small business ownership and entrepreneurship as a career path. That's like four and a half percent of post 9 11 veterans, down from 45% World War II vets. And so I wanted to continue to pitch that message to my network that, like, hey, my life's not perfect. I work very, very hard. I work long hours, and some days I just don't want to do it. Um, But on the whole, you know, my my access, my my XY graph is going up. Um, and I want other people to experience that freedom and that joy of being a business owner. So those were kind of the two components in my blue ocean strategy. So what that meant is, is as I started putting messages out there, encouraging people, go do your own thing, start your own company, get into a service industry, whatever you're passionate about. That I had a lot of men and women come to me and say, Hey, I'm getting out in three months. I really like do an HVAC repairs. Can you provide me with an insurance proposal? I absolutely can. Now it's not a lot of money and it's not a lot of premium because you're not generating any revenue. You don't have a lot of big payroll liability. You don't have a ton of stuff to protect, but I've got you. Well, I guess I should say um, we have each other. We are building a relationship from day one. So, you know, this company could very well be the next, 50 statewide HVAC company. Um, and so I I was strategic. I marketed that way because A, I thought I brought a lot of value to that space. Um, and B, nobody else really wanted to touch it to your point because, well, it's not going to, you're not going to make, you know, a million dollars doing that. You will over time, maybe. Maybe if you keep sticking to the strategy, cause you'll walk into some elephants on accident um, or your reputation will get you to a point where people are like, okay, he does a good job, but yeah.
0: But, but and also the, the difference being is that everyone talks about the relationship aspect. Well, guess what? The guy who just started that HVAC company you talked about, his next door neighbor, he owns that business that has the $50 million plan. And guess what? He likes Rob. Yeah. And he's They're going to be sitting around one weekend at a barbecue you know, eating, drinking, just shooting the you-know-what. And the guy's going to tell him that all his employees have been driving him crazy because his insurance is not working or the 401k is terrible. And that guy's going to instantly think, oh, wait, yeah, I got your guy. And now credibility is a, is a, is a huge hurdle in this space. And it's again, it's, it, this is, as much as people don't want to admit it when it's against them, this, is, this business is relationship selling okay because you're talking about people's money okay or people's business security they want to know that the person that they're dealing with can be trusted now this guy is you know there's no reason for the neighbor not to want to at least have a conversation I, I tell folks in the 401k space and I'm not sure on the insurance side it's a five to seven touch business okay there are no magic wands you're not making a phone call and on the first meeting someone's giving you the plan it's just not going to happen okay but you can skip some of those touches when the neighbor turns around and says, nope, I had nothing. I started this company. Nobody wanted to talk to me. And the first time I called, Robbie picked up the phone and he took care of me. There there is no monetary value for that. Yes, you didn't make a whole lot of actual instant dollars. And if instant gratification is your thing, then let me save you some trouble. The 401k space is not for you. Don't get into insurance either. (laughs) No, it's not. Because the people who... Are chasing the dollar or sell on price are the people who are going to lose it for their, um, we're, not, we're not looking for customers, we're looking for clients. And, and if you don't know the difference, give me a call. We'll have a conversation about it. But the, the, the return on a client, not just monetarily, but from a referral and a respect standpoint, is 10,000 times that of chasing customers, which is completely different.
1: Yeah, and I think you're, you're spot on about the five to seven touches. Sometimes it's even more. And if somebody says, hey, this is my guy, you're cutting at least two or three of those Absolutely. off. Absolutely. Literally just happened to me today. Um, a client of mine referred me to a friend of his who's starting a company, and he had, <clears throat> there were three other agents that had a two to three week head start on me because he already had a prior relationship with them. Um, I got him the proposals the same day. And I asked him out to the house to look at doing some work for me because I needed it. It's not a gimmick or anything like that just to get him there. Um, and I'm going to do business with him. And he told me today on the third touch, yeah, let's go ahead and get it all done. I might have been a little bit more expensive. I don't know. He didn't tell me. But, um, but having that person being referred by somebody is going to cut down the number of touches. And then the other thing you said that I think is interesting, my very first job at the Marine Corps, I sold funeral insurance. Not a lot of people know Anybody that sells funeral insurance. But we'd also sell cemetery plots, like prearranged cemetery plots. Well, there were these two ladies in the market that I worked in and they were they were whale hunters, you know, my first day of training. They're like, Rob, you would be like them. They they make, you know, half a million dollars a year and they only have to so they only sell two things. They go after two big clients every year. And so I watched them. They worked really hard to get that, but they also passed on probably 50 opportunities just to get in front of the one person who could write a real big check for them. So to me, I'm, I'm like, man, I'm already expend. I'm already putting out the effort. I'm already doing the work. I'm already talking to people. Why wouldn't I convert those smaller opportunities while I work towards the bigger ones too, as well. it just seems totally counterintuitive to me. And,
0: and, and especially so on the 401k side, one of the things I try to share with the advisors is yeah, a 50, $50 million plan is great. Okay. Well, Absolutely. If you have the wherewithal and you think you have the message, go after it. But keep in mind, what, what would you rather have? Would you rather have one $50 million plan or 10 $5 million plans or, you know, 22 and a half million dollar plans? If the $50 million plan leaves, how many clients do you have? None. If one of your 20 million plans leave, you have 19 other plans to work with. So again, I understand time is limited and you have to focus where you need to. But the small plan space, if you're going to build a practice, and that's what we talk about. If you're going to sell an occasional 401k plan, then again, you probably can stop listening. Okay, But if you're going to build a 401k practice, a portion of it needs to be in the smaller space. Because a that's where the vast majority of plans are. Again, I don't I don't know the exact statistic, but I'm willing to bet 80% of all the plans out there fall between one and ten million dollars. So uh, while their bigger opportunities are out there, the the greater number of opportunities is going to be in that smaller market. It is a very sticky business. Okay, uh, we we talk about this with advisors all the time. The relationship aspect of it is a double-edged sword. It's the hardest objection to overcome, but as soon as you win that and get to keep the relationship, that's where the plan grows. So maybe it's bringing in a younger advisor to focus on that smaller so they can then get more comfortable. And again, uh, I think you brought up uh, a point in our last conversation, the younger aspect in terms of, you know, when you're dealing with money, you're going to go talk to a CFO who runs a hundred million dollar 401k plan and you're in your mid twenties, regardless of what you bring to the table, rest assured in the back of their head, they're thinking, man, I spent a long time to get here, son, you're going to, or, or young lady, you're going to have to work to, to earn that money because I've been doing this for 30 years. If you partner again, and again, I'm sure I'm going to get myself in a little bit of trouble. What else is new? Uh, but if you partner with an older person there and have that combination it makes it much more effective. And by the way, when that other person is ready to leave, they're going to turn it over to the younger person who has now developed the skills to be the director of finance, the director of human resources, the CFO. Who are they going to turn to? The person they've had the relationship with that whole entire time while they were helping them get there. And, and therefore, again, I don't, think, I don't think there's a price you can put on that type of relationship development.
1: It took me a little bit longer than I'm, than I'm pleased to admit to learn that lesson that, um, you know, cause, cause I, I would always ask myself like, when am I going to get there? When am I going to get there? I'm working harder than my peers. I'm doing things, you know, different than everybody else and I'm innovating and all this stuff. And I was kind of, you know, I was kind of just feeding my own ego and all that. There is so much to be gained from, from what I like to call opportunity revenue or experience revenue, all those singles and doubles or walks whatever it takes to get on base, um, they add up in that experience revenue and opportunity revenue. So that way, when you are, you know, maybe the young thirty-something who gets in front of the CFO with the hundred million-dollar plan, now you've got eight or ten years of experience doing the small stuff. And and rest assured, you're going to screw up on those small things. I did it. Everybody does it. That's a that's a part of the experience revenue that you're building. Um, but it teaches you what not to do. When you get, when you get Exactly. When you get in front of those people, you're going to be like, oh, I remembered I did that. That was a horrible onboarding experience for that client. I lost that client. The risk wasn't as big. But now that I'm in front of the whale, now I know exactly what not to do. If I could go back, you know, 10 years ago and say, Rob, just chill. Okay. (laughs) Like all these little things that you look at is, you know, you're excited about them, but they're not as significant as where you feel like you should be. Just know that in 12 years and 13 years, you're going to thank yourself, you know, for doing it this way.
0: Long, long long-term greedy. Long-term greedy is the the phrase I try to share with the advisors because again, like you, you made it. If you, if your first call is to that, $50 million plan and you screw up, you're probably not going to get a second call. So work out the kinks. Not that we're using, we're saying use the smaller plans as guinea pigs to develop the business, but the, the small business owner is much more apt to give you a little leeway when there's a problem as opposed to the person who has 10 other people putting pressure on them to make sure that it's great.
1: Yep, absolutely, man. Uh, thank you again for letting me uh, steal your podcast yeah, a little bit there, was, yeah. there
0: is no podcast without and his
1: team so don't let him don't let him kid you i uh, love it man uh where can people get in touch with you again
0: thanks does that wrap up this uh, episode of mirror minutes you can reach us at again the website is fix 401k.com or james h at mirror center thank you for the time That'll do it for this episode of Mirror Minutes. Again, I'm your host, James Holland. Thank you for investing a little time with us. If you'd like to check out our website, it's fix401k.com. If you enjoyed the content, please reach out and make a comment on whatever you view the podcast on. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice.